wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet time for another glorious edition of the man in the arena podcast i'm your host the ace of tennessee podcasting michael shibley hope you guys have had a wonderful week and boy what a week it has been we've got a lot to talk about on this just action-packed show as always we've got new champions in the world of professional wrestling we've got another wrestling pay-per-view We've had a lot of prominent uh, sports figures and also in the world of movies who have passed away. We're going to talk about that in the Shivels and Bits segment. The NBA playoffs and and NHL playoffs still going on. You've got all of that happening. You had the first game of college football that happened over the weekend, which was just amazing. It's probably the most bet-on FCS game we've ever seen. We've got the first official week one of college football kicking off. We'll see where that all goes. We'll see how everything fits in there, and of course, shoot, the NFL is starting, I think, in like 10 days, something like that, I think, is the official kickoff time for the NFL, which is just amazing. I kind of like the low buildup of it, to be perfectly honest. The fact that I don't have to trudge through four preseason games has been a blessing, honestly. I kind of like it. So, we'll see where this all goes, but of course, the way we've got to start this week is with the sports boycotts and protests that we had over the week in response to the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where he was shot in the back seven times by a police officer. You can, of course, check out all the details online and, of course, the following protests where two protesters were shot and killed by a 17-year-old. So you had all those things going through there in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And the backdrop of that, you had leading the way the Milwaukee Bucks. And again, Kenosha, Wisconsin is right there on Lake Michigan in Wisconsin between Milwaukee and then Chicago. So you have all of these things that have been developing. And the Milwaukee Bucks decided before their Game 5 playoff game against the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic had already come out onto the floor for warm-ups, and the Milwaukee Bucks refused to come out. And they ended up postponing the game. They made a statement talking about a lot of things that they felt that they were... People weren't listening, and they felt that this was a way to get people to listen. I mentioned it, of course, on my social media. We... I did a quick Facebook Live thing that you can check out on the Man in the Arena uh, podcast Facebook page. Search it there. And of course, uh, all my social media, Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter, Man in the Arena podcast on Instagram. So check out all that stuff. It's where I post a lot of these social media things. And then that just created a snowball effect of effects that happened because of that. You look at at the rest of the NBA games were postponed that day, and they were postponed the next couple of days. You had the NHL had some games going on, but then they protested and and boycotted their games, good games in Major League Soccer that happened. So you had these team events that happened, and then in Major League Baseball, you had the Milwaukee Brewers again leading the way, where they said we're not going to play. You had a huge moment the day before Jackie Robinson Day where the Mets 
went onto the field, and then there was a moment of silence for 42 seconds, and then they walked off the field, which I think was a very powerful moment. So you have all of these things that are happening in the world of professional sports, and it has gone down even into the college ranks, where you have college teams, and I'm talking here at the University of Tennessee, my beloved Tennessee Vols, leading the way with a lot of this. It started with one of my favorite players, and he should be one of yours, Trey Smith, who is a just has been a huge, just great player, is a great leader for this team. But at least 1,000 people marched. He called for a march to happen on Tennessee's campus. They said, Saturday, we are going to meet at the Torchbearer, wear your masks, and everybody there did, just again, to highlight this, the vast majority of these protesters, when they're out there, they are wearing masks. They are being aware of everything. It is hard to social distance, but they are wearing masks. But they all went out there. And again, the athletes who organized this was, again, Trey Smith and then women's golfer Mariah Smith, who I think was the first Afri- black golfer um, to play for the University of Tennessee, and then track team member Vanessa Watson. So they were the big organizers of this. And then the march started at the Torchbearer statue. Those of you familiar with the UT campus, you know where that is there at Circle Park. And then everyone, again, wearing masks. They had extra masks. If you didn't have one, you'd wear it just like at my job, where if you come down and you don't have a mask, we're going to give you one because that's what you have to do. Wear your masks, wash your hands. And, I mean, Trey Smith, when he called for this, he even had an Angela Davis quote, I'm no longer accepting things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. Which, again, great quote by Angela Davis. And after seeing the large crowd come out to support the cause, Trey Smith just feels that he was so uplifted by it. And this is his quote. It shows that we're all together on this campus and that nothing can really break us. The naysayers and the people who try to stop us can't said Smith. And we're coming together out of peace and love. That's all we're doing. There's no issue for that. It was a just extremely peaceful protest. They marched. They didn't even walk on the grass for crying out loud. They were walking. There's some great pictures. I'm going to post some of them, of course. I've posted a lot of them already on my social media pages, but you'll see some of those as well. Vanessa Watson and Mariah Smith hope the march brings attention to the institutionalized racism on the school's campus. It's very necessary. It's very important right now. There's so much black trauma and pain in the media, and then people go right back to forgetting about us. So we're here to do is make sure everyone keeps paying attention, and that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to raise awareness. And again, something that you can raise awareness for. The fact that there's still stuff to raise awareness, raise awareness for cancer. Everybody knows about cancer. Not everybody knows about institutional racism, and things that they're protesting about. Yes, all lives matter. And again, this is Smith talking, Mariah Smith. And yes, we should be treated fairly. But right now, the black community is not being treated fairly. And if all lives matter, we need to be treated just as fairly. And again, the peaceful protest ended uh, on campus just outside of Ayers Hall. So they walked from the torchbearer up the hill. And anybody who's been on UT campus knows that is a tough walk. <laughs> I have had to make that walk many times. So, again, they did that in the heat. It was hot on Saturday, and everyone was wearing masks. And Trey Smith went up there, too, and he talked about, and he quoted 
because right before this protest happened, and again, Jeremy Pruitt, who was out there, as well as Donnie Plowman, our great chancellor, Randy Boyd, the president of UT, and also Philip Fulmer, the athletic director, they were all out there as well, participating in this. But Jeremy Pruitt moved practice because he knew how important this was. Jeremy Pruitt gets it which I think I'm very proud of when it comes to that. So that makes me very happy that Pruitt understands what these guys are going for. And that's why I think Jeremy Pruitt brought in Lester McLean to speak. And those of you who don't know, Lester McLean was the first black player at the University of Tennessee, 1968. He played, I think he got 10 touchdown passes during his time and talking about how it was back there in the 60s and how in high school in Nashville, he took part in some of the sit-ins that they had in Nashville, some of the sit-in protests, or as the late John Lewis called all of this stuff, good trouble. And that's the good trouble that he's causing, and I love it. Lester McLean is a personal story. Lester McLean is the first Tennessee football player I ever met. Uh, my dad and I, I got to go to a game, and this was against Temple University back in 1990. I was seven, how old I was. And I got to meet Lester McLean. And of course, at seven years old, I didn't understand the gravity. I was just happy to meet a Tennessee football player. That's all I cared about. I didn't know anything about him being the first black player, but that was a cool meeting, and Lester McLean has been very outspoken about that and proud to be a pioneer at Tennessee. And this and you talk about these things and you it's so weird to see people come out with these weird comments about you know they don't know what they're talking about, they don't understand it. Let me just share a couple of experiences that I know firsthand cuz I was on UT's campus from 2001 to 2007. You've seen the pictures. I'm a white guy. So this doesn't really curtail to me. But I knew of fraternities that were removed from campus because of racist uh, racist emblems and things they did. Uh, another uh, fraternity was kicked off because they wore blackface at a party. Um, even when I was on campus, I never had, again, anything racial said to me, but there was definitely just harassment. I was walking back. It was late at night on campus and... Some idiots in a pickup truck as I'm walking back yell to me, just apparently based on what I was wearing, hey, the carousel is actually that way. The carousel, for those of you who don't know, is a gay club that was right near UT's campus at the time. Of course, me retorting back, I said, well, cool, I guess I'll see you guys there. Um, I don't know if they heard me, they didn't stop the truck, so we'll see. But again, those are things. And then, even after I hadn't been on campus... In 2008, after Obama was elected, uh, people outside of the Black Cultural Center threw a bunch of cotton balls outside of the Black Cultural Center so that the black people had to go out there and pick up the cotton like they're supposed to do. Again, that's 2008. 2010, a group of prospective students, black students, were being toured around campus, and people driving by threw bananas at them. These are things that have happened in the last 12 years. So it's not just stuff that happened in the 60s and 70s. You also have at the Student Diversity Center on campus where they've put out you know signs about diversity and pride flags and different things like that. Those have been constantly 
for the last few years, vandalized and torn down and all different kinds of things. So there are things that happen. Again, the Confederate flag is still in way too many dorm rooms around campus. I saw it when I was there in 2001 to 2007, and it's still there. So you have all of that. That's what these guys are talking about when you talk about raising awareness and what's there and what's not. And you see these pro and what's hilarious to me is the usual comments that you have. I don't even know why I read the comments at local news and all these different stories. It's like it's to me, apparently, it's just like expired milk where it's like, you know, it's going to smell bad, but you still got to take that whiff. So but you see the usual idiot gang of idiots that comment on these things. Well, I'm not a fan of Tennessee anymore. First of all, please, if they go out and they beat Georgia here in the first month of the season, you're going to be right back there. You're going to be cheering just as loud as you always have been. Of course, the other question is, where are you going to go? Are you going to go cheer the University of Florida now? Because their students had walking. Their students had a march. Uh, Their players did. Are you going to go to the University of Ole Miss, the Rebels? No, their students marched on campus. Are you going to go to Alabama? Nick Saban leading the way with the student-athlete march. So your options are kind of loose if you're wanting to do that. These marches were happening all over the country at different universities. So it's not just Tennessee that they realize what is going on. And, of course, you have people who, again, obviously the last time they even learned about history was probably in high school. And for the last history book you ever read was your high school textbook and I don't even have enough time to go into that if you want to debate me on any of this stuff again Michael underscore Shibley on Twitter I have all day and you do not want to go toe to toe in history with me all the time and again there's some great books out there stamped from the beginning is it just a wonderful book the invisible man the new Jim Crow there's plenty of them I do not have time to talk about all of them watch 13th on Netflix. It's free on YouTube right now. You can watch it there. There's plenty of things to educate yourself and understand. And that's all they're looking for is the understanding of what is going on and why these things are happening. I mean, you had Doc Rivers talk about how it's amazing how we as black people love this country, but so many people refuse to love us back. I mean, those are powerful things. And again, some good things have happened from this protest. You had Seahawks coach Pete Carroll, who came out, and he spoke more than 14 minutes, and this was back a couple of days ago, about the need for white people to gain a better understanding of racism in America, which is what so much of these marches, especially on the campuses, are talking about. They don't know enough, and they need to be coached up, and they need to be educated about what the heck is going on in this world. You had Naomi Osaka who is, you know, a half-black, half-Japanese tennis player. She's won two majors. She's won two Grand Slams. She came out wearing a Breonna Taylor mask before her first-round match at the U.S. Open. I mean, she even talked about, as a black woman, I feel as though there are much more important matters than playing this semifinal match, and this was at the previous tournament. You know, I don't expect anything drastic to happen with me not playing, but if I can get a conversation started in a majority white sport, I consider a step in the right direction. When will it ever be enough when she talks about things like this? And then you have, again, some other good things 
coming out of this, you have when the NBA and then the Players Association, and by the way, the NBA and the WNBA did this without approval from their union. So again, there was more monetary value than you think on the line when it comes to that, which just makes me go cross-eyed when you got guys like Jared Kushner coming out and saying, you know, it was nice that they took a day off. You know, that they can financially do that. Well, first of all, who is in the right tax bracket that it's okay for you to accept their protest? That's one thing. And it shows, even being in the NBA and being, first of all, the stress that they're under, first of all, black in America, seems to be pretty stressful. I've been watching. It seems to be a pretty stressful thing, especially right now. And also, it's pretty stressful being able to play an elite level in that bubble in the middle of a pandemic. So there's some things that seem to be things that they get worked up about. And also, being an NBA player doesn't stop. Sterling Brown, a member of the Milwaukee Bucks, a few years ago, he was tased by police after a parking violation after he was pulled over. So again, it's not just poor people and poor black people that this happens to. But again, some good things did happen when you look at everything that's gone through. You look at all these different protests. The Baltimore Ravens came out and made a statement, again, saying enough is enough. And they had demands. They had some demands that they wanted to make where they even went and said they want, again, they want to arrest and charge the police officers responsible for Breonna Taylor's killing and the shooting of Jacob Blake. They also demand that Senator Mitch McConnell bring the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act to the Senate floor for a vote, where it talks about ending qualified immunity, requiring body cameras, banning chokeholds, no-knock warrants, hold police accountable in court, all those things that the House passed back after the George Floyd killing, and just like a lot of other, again, this isn't a politics podcast, and I know that, but it's bleeding into it a lot. But there's a lot of other bills that have been sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk that he's just not taken up, including, again, talking about getting people... Some unemployment, expanding the unemployment benefits and things, which with the pandemic, that's still killing over a thousand people a day, at least as of this recording. So you have a lot of those things happening. But again, I think some good's going to happen because the Milwaukee Bucks, as I mentioned before, with their first statement that they made after they sat out their first game, they said they wanted to that they wanted governor uh the governor of Wisconsin to call back the state legislature to look at this and pass some things and it worked the governor called them back now is that going to work i don't know but at least they're having the conversation i doubt anything's going to happen with the legislature that they have in Wisconsin which i don't have enough time to get into but they did do that And also one of the things that the NBA and the Players Association worked with, so the owners and the Players Association, one of the big things that's going to happen is every NBA uh, arena in a city where the league's franchise owns and controls the arena property, team owners are going to work with the local officials to turn those arenas into voting locations and voting precincts for the 2020 general election. And again, it gives them a place to vote in person because who knows about voting by mail? Again, not a politics podcast, but my goodness. And you've had, some NBA teams have already committed to doing this. The Atlanta Hawks, uh, 
Detroit Pistons, Milwaukee Bucks, the Sacramento Kings, the Houston Rockets, Charlotte Hornets, and the Utah Jazz have already announced that that's going to happen. It didn't happen in Memphis, and that's a whole other story. I don't have time to dive into Tennessee state legislation. Ugh, oh, boy. that That's a whole other story, but my goodness. But you look again, especially places like Atlanta, Detroit, Milwaukee, places like that. Those are battleground states in this upcoming election. And you've seen, especially in places like Georgia and Wisconsin, with their primaries, the long lines, all of that. If you can have a 20,000-seat arena where you have more space in the parking lot instead of people just lying down the street in the parking lot, you have just more voting machines, I think that's just a great thing for people to go out there. I personally am going to go and vote early in my precinct. Early voting here, it starts on October 14th, and you bet you bet your hindquarters that I'm going to be there on October 14th, early voting. I'm not voting on election day. I want it done and over with at that point. So again, there's some great things that are happening. And again, I implore so many of you, and if you need to ask, ask me. I will debate you all day long, but ask, look at what these people are talking about. Don't just check every, you know, half-brained idiot pundit on Twitter and on social media that are just putting a bunch of conspiracy theories out there. Or you have the idea of the shut up and dribble, which, by the way, a lot of these basketball players finished college. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, guys who graduated from the University of Duke. It's a pretty smart university. They've traveled around the world. They've played a lot. They've seen a lot of things. They have a pretty good grasp on what's going on compared to your you know, D-average high school graduate QAnon classmate that I'm still friends with some of them on Facebook for some dumb reason, who their voice is allowed to be heard, but the the basketball players are told to shut up and dribble? Uh Uh-uh. If you want to vote, they've all got a voice, and they're going to be able to use it, and the NBA players have used their platform, and some of these other franchises have used it, and I think it's great, and I'm excited to see where it's going to go, and we'll see where it all ends up in the end, but I hope some good things come through it, and I am so proud of Trey Smith and everybody else involved with the student-athletes there at the University of Tennessee. My beloved Vols, the athletes, student-athletes, making me very proud to be from Tennessee. And we're going to take a break. We're going to come back with some other news. This isn't a very happy podcast, and I apologize for that. It's a pretty heavy one today where we've had some legends pass away over the weekend that we're going to talk about as well. But again, you're listening to the Man in the Arena podcast. We'll be back right after the break. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you hear the music, you know it's time for Shibbles and Bits, and again, we've got a lot of heavy things to, to talk about as we've had four at least big deaths in the world of, well, first basketball, and then in the world of acting and sports, really when it comes to it, and we'll talk about that here in a second. One of the things I forgot about, I was so amped up going through all my notes about in the first segment about protesting. I even forgot to even mention with the WNBA, the Washington Mystics players who wore shirts before they walked off the court 
they wore t-shirts with seven painted bullet holes in the back, which, again, to me, is just an absolutely powerful image. When you talk about it and doing things like that, again, making people uncomfortable, stirring up, as John Lewis, the late congressman, said, stirring up good trouble. And again, I always use Martin Luther King comment here because they talk about going through all of this and doing their damnedest to try and make changes and at least have that conversation. From the letter from the Birmingham jail, I use this one all the time. We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the opp- by the oppressed. And again, that's Dr. Martin Luther King because I figured, hey, if we're going to finish the topic, might as well have one of the smartest and most eloquent people say a quote, especially if I can butcher it, as I take great pride, apparently, in doing. So, anyway, moving on to the rest of the world of shibbles and bits. Uh, we've got the U.S. Open underway in the world of tennis. We've got the Kentucky Derby starting over the weekend. So we've got some of those big things that are happening, plus many, many more things going on in the world of sports that, of course, we'll post links and everything to on the Man in the Arena podcast social media pages, so check those out. But a couple people leaving the world of tennis. Bob and Mike Bryan, they're the prolific identical twin doubles partners. They are retiring from the sport just right ahead of the U.S. Open. The decision closes a professional tennis partnership that includes a men's doubles record 16 Grand Slam championships. They feel it's the right moment. They're both 42. They were going to retire after the U.S. Open, but the decision to hold the Grand Slam without fans in attendance because of the coronavirus led to their decision to withdraw before the event. They won five championships as a pairing in New York, most recently in 2014. But, I mean, they've been amazing. They reached the third round of the men's doubles back at the Australian Open, back in the before time. So, you have all those different things. They will be eligible for the class of the Tennis Hall of Fame in 2025. They should be first ballot Hall of Famers. Again, if you know anything about tennis, especially playing doubles, they were one of the best by far. Also talk, in the world of golf, this was amazing to see. John Ram, he outlasts Dustin Johnson in one of the best ever ways to end a golf tournament I have ever seen. John Ram could not believe what happened because he said he only saw half of it. He was on the range on the other side of Olympia Field's clubhouse there at the BMW Championship, preparing for a playoff that no one really expected. And Dustin Johnson, he rolled in a 45-foot foot birdie putt, easy for me to say, down the ridge for a birdie. So he made a 45-foot putt is what Dustin Johnson did to force the playoff, which nobody, again, the odds of making a 45-foot putt are insane to begin with, even on just straight, flat green. And then Rom faced an, an even longer, more difficult putt back on the 18th on the first playoff hole, a 65-foot, 5-inch putt that he had to send nearly a 90-degree angle with the top of the ridge, and then it was a replay of Johnson's putt as it headed down that ridge and kissed off the pin and disappeared into the bottom of the cup. It was amazing to see. Dustin Johnson going for a second consecutive victory, but again, Dustin Johnson just sat there and laughed because that's all you can do at that point. I mean, seriously, when someone makes it, it's like, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. That's pretty much the only way you can go. It was amazing to see. And I posted a video on the Man in the Arena Facebook page and also retweeted it, so you should check that out, even if you're not a golf fan. That's just an amazing, clutch, crazy way to win a golf tournament. 
so now we'll move into uh, apparently the tip of the cap and the, the death portion of the podcast here uh, as we go through all of these. Uh, the first one came through, and it was uh, happened on Thursday. Hall of Fame basketball coach uh, Lute Olson, who built Arizona into that just amazing national power, he uh, and the only NCAA championship that they had back in 1997, he passed away at the age of 85. He had suffered a stroke last year, and he'd been moved into hospice care. I mean, he had 20... 20 win seasons and turning again a team in Arizona which had just been nothing before he got there into a power and a place that people still want to go and play college basketball was great 589-187 in the 24 seasons he spent there four final four appearances 23 consecutive NCAA tournaments he won 11 Pac-10 titles at the time and then the national title again in 1997 it was just amazing to see how much he grew. And again, he took Iowa to the Final Four as well. So the guy could coach. He was a great coach. He was a great recruiter. He was always able to get talent to come out there to the desert. And it's just a a great loss, again, in the world of college basketball. You also talk about uh, Clifford Robinson, who was a big college basketball player at UConn with Jim Calhoun. He passed away 53 years old. No cause of death has been given, at least as of this time. Uh, But Jim Calhoun, his former coach, did say that Robinson had a stroke two and a half years ago, and he went into a coma last week. Again, 6'11", size of a center, but he could shoot, man. I remember he was one of those great, big, first, one of those first big man shooters that you had back when he played for the Suns and the Pistons and the Golden State Warriors and the Nets in the NBA. He made the 94 All-Star Game, two NBA All-Defensive second teams, 14 points, uh, four and a half rebounds a game. And he played the 13th most games in NBA history with 1,380. So again, just a sprawling great career. And again, started there at UConn and one of those first guys that Jim Calhoun got to buy into his program as Jim Calhoun built his program up into a national power there at UConn. And then, of course, you talk about guys who built programs and built status. Georgetown coach John Thompson Jr., the legendary coach, he passed away just Monday at the age of 78. He led Georgetown to, of course, the 1984 National Championship, built that program into that juggernaut, and again, took them to three Final Fours in the 80s, seven Big Ten titles, made part of just making the Big East one of the great premier basketball conferences that it was, so big that they had their championship games in Madison Square Garden for that tournament, just some of the greatest stuff. Uh, He also led the United States national team to a bronze medal at the 1988 Olympics, I mean, there's so many things that he was able to do and formulate. You look even at what he was able to do in in the games that they, in the championships they didn't win with Patrick Ewing there. You, You look at in 1982, it took Michael Jordan making a clutch shot at the end to win the game. And of course, they're the poor guard for Georgetown. I'm not even going to mention his name. It's happened too many times, but brings the ball up and 
passes the ball to a UNC player and the rest is history. I mean, that was just at the end of the game. So Michael Jordan had hit the clutch shot and then the Georgetown guy brings it up and he thought he saw a Georgetown player. So a UNC player instead passed it to him and the clock ran out. That was, I mean, that was upsetting. And then, of course, in 1985, the great upset as Villanova upset number one seed Georgetown in Lexington. And Villanova, of course, they weren't scared of Georgetown. They played them twice a year in the Big East. But as an eight seed, I mean, you still thought Georgetown was going to win that game. And all of a sudden, it just didn't happen. And Villanova had to shoot, I think, what, 79% from the floor to win that game. That's And again, this is before the shot clock, so you had all of those things. But John Thompson, what he built and made Georgetown a national brand. It's a small Jesuit school in Washington, D.C., and made it into a national power. And especially with that partnership with Nike that just brought Georgetown. I mean, people all over the country and world were wearing Georgetown stuff. Like the Hoyas. It's like, who had heard of them before John Thompson got there? And of course... I mentioned Patrick Ewing, but you also had Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Mutombo, and of course, a personal one to me was Allen Iverson, who came, and again, I'm from Virginia Beach, and I was living in there in the Hampton Roads area. Allen Iverson came from Bethel High School up there in Hampton. He, he got in a lot of trouble. I mean, there was a huge instance where he got suspended from school because there was a fight. There's a 30 for 30 documentary about it, the trial of Allen Iverson that you should check out. Which, again, I think he got kind of railroaded for a lot of different reasons. But he, you know, he had a lot of trouble. But John Thompson, as Allen Iverson said, saved his life. I think Allen Iverson's mother called John Thompson and said, take a chance on this kid. And John Thompson did. And it led Allen Iverson to have a great time there at Georgetown and then to a great NBA career. So you have all of that. And again, John Thompson, a guy who also... As, again, John Lewis said, getting into good trouble. John Thompson walked off the court in 1989 before a game against Boston College to protest Proposition 42. It was an NCAA measure that would ban academically ineligible freshmen from receiving scholarships. Thompson said he protested because he believed the proposition aimed to limit opportunities for minority students. And again, we can talk about some of the inequalities at schools that have a larger minority population. Again, I don't have enough time to go into that on this podcast, but again, John Thompson just leading the way in so many ways, and he's definitely one of those that needs to be considered always for the Mount Rushmore of coaching. I mean, you look at the list of, he was the first black coach to win a national championship in college basketball, and I think after that it was Nolan Richardson with Arkansas, in 1994, 10 years later. Then Tubby Smith won one with Kentucky. And then Kevin Ollie won one with UConn. And I think that's the list. That's it. It's been really interesting when you look at the world of college basketball. A lot of black coaches don't stay there. A lot of them end up going to the NBA and coaching. So you see a lot of that. But that's the list. And again, John Thompson. So many great impacts in the world of college basketball. And just another voice and a coaching mind that's going to be just so sorely missed and to wrap it all up with the death portion of this podcast you have uh, Chadwick Boseman who passed away actor uh, he starred 
of course, as a sports tie-in, he was Jackie Robinson in the biopic 42. And then, of course, he became the Black Panther in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And he passed away of cancer. He was 43 years old. He battled colon cancer pretty much all the while he was filming all of his roles in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Black Panther. Civil War, Black Panther, Avengers uh, Endgame, Avengers Affinity War, all of them. He was battling cancer. But, and it, it, it kind of makes it full circle. He passed away while Major League Baseball was celebrating Jackie Robinson Day, which of course is taken place later it usually happens in april on the 15th but they moved it back because of the covid altered season and again it was amazing he when you talk about and again he played other great biopic pioneers he played thurgood marshall the supreme court judge he played james brown in that biopic as well so he had a knack of doing that but he asked about in 2013 uh after 42 was released about what it meant to play Jackie Robinson and whether he thought the movie would continue conversations about racial injustice, which ties it into everything else going on in America right now. He said, I'm proud to play Jackie Robinson. And I feel like those racial barriers will eventually come down. They will come down. And I'm glad that I'm continuing the tradition of expanding people's barriers. I think that's why you do the movie. You have to show the sickness or expose the sickness in order to get rid of it. So, I mean, it was just amazing... Especially because no one knew about, you know, everything that happened. Nobody knew he had cancer. Not even all of these actors and friends and people. He very quietly just battled it. Which just shows, again, the heart of the warrior and everything that he had. I mean, and again, Black Panther's an incredible movie. It's one of my top seven, probably, Marvel movies. Uh... So, you have that. He was just an amazing athlete. <laughs> it was just amazing. I, I'm still just bummed out that he passed away because he had so much more it looked to give, especially expanding that Black Panther role. And some of the others, Defy Bloods, which was a Spike Lee movie that just came out on, on Netflix. So, I was just so happy to get to see those movies and and everything so it makes me happy and all of them uh and again you talk about someone who also quietly battled cancer and it was uh chris lofton who battled cancer uh throughout his senior season at the university of tennessee because everybody kept wondering what's why is he not because the shooting wasn't there like it had been in previous years with lofton who could just drop it from anywhere and it was because he was Battling, I believe, testicular cancer. So, you have those things. And again, rest in peace to all of these uh, great men who passed away over the past week. My hat's off to all of them. They were true men in the arena. Moving on quickly to professional wrestling as I wrap some things up. Uh, Roman Reigns, I mentioned, came back at SummerSlam. Well, he won the WWE Universal Championship in a three-way title match there. At payback, they another wedged-in pay-per-view for some reason. So they had that happen. Um, so he's now champion. He's paired up with Paul Heyman. So it looks like Roman Reigns has finally turned heel, which a lot of people have been kind of wanting him to do. We'll see where it all goes from this point. But, hey, bring Roman Reigns back. It seemed to have moved the ratings a little bit. So I'm happy to see that. 
you look also in the world of professional wrestling, you have new women's tag team champions uh, with the WWE, Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax taking them from Bayley and Sasha Banks. So you have some of those things happen. We'll see as they move to Night of Champions what else we're going to get. Uh, Bobby Lashley winning the U.S. Championship. We'll see where it all goes. It's just weird they had to shoehorn this pay-per-view in, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because of their terrible deal with Saudi Arabia that they had to do something. I don't know. Meanwhile, in New Japan, you have a new, I say an old new, double champion, Tetsuya Naito, uh, winning the IWGP Championship and also the Intercontinental Championship away from Evil, who had betrayed him a month earlier and took the gold from him. So all is right. Tranquilo for Tetsuya Naito and the rest of Los Ingobernables de Japón. So congratulations to him. Always like Tetsuya Naito. Uh, would love to see him do some more matches here in America whenever COVID finally passes through. Meanwhile, AEW has got their pay-per-view coming up. All Out happening this Saturday. Uh, you've got some of the top matches. You've got Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara. It's a broken rules match. It's pretty much a last man standing match. And Matt Hardy has to leave AEW if he loses. This is a great battle between a veteran and a young gun coming for him. I do think Matt Hardy's going to win this one. We'll see. Of course, if he loses, that just is that just Matt Hardy that has to leave? Or is it all of the other iterations of Matt Hardy? Meanwhile, the Dark Order in a four-way uh, tag team match or an eight-man match is going to take on the team of the Natural Nightmares, including then Scorpio Sky and Matt Cardona. The Dark Order has done great, especially now that the Exalted One, Brody Lee, is now your TNT champion. You've got a 21-man casino battle royale with the winner getting an AEW championship shot in the future. Got a lot of great guys in that battle royal. The AEW Women's Championship on the line. Hikaru Shida, your champion, defending against the NWA Women's Champion, Thunder Rosa. That should be a fantastic match. I'm really looking forward to that one. I do like Sheeta retaining the championship there. She's done a great job of carrying the women's division through this whole COVID pandemic. The AEW Tag Team Championships on the line. Kenny Omega and Adam Page, your champions defending against FTR, the former uh, team of the Revival in the WWE. Adam Page in a gauntlet match grabbing on and preventing the Young Bucks from winning, which is just weird. He, Adam Page has been kicked out of the Elite. We'll see where all this kind of turns. But it leads me to believe that I think FTR are going to get uh, those tag team championships. I've got FDR, FTR, <laughs> FTR, I'm sorry, getting the win in that one. Especially now that they are also managed by Tully Blanchard, one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time, a member of the Four Horsemen. You have the rubber match between Chris Jericho and Orange Cassidy. Chris Jericho got the first win, then Orange Cassidy was able to roll up Chris Jericho in the second match. So now they're battling in a Mimosa Mayhem match, because of course Orange Cassidy with the orange juice, and then of course Chris Jericho with his champagne, a little bit of the bubbly. So you combine that, you get a big pool of Mimosa. The winner is determined either by pinfall, submission, or throwing your opponent into this huge vat of Mimosa. So we'll see where it goes there. I've got Orange Cassidy getting the win somehow. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change that because I think what's going to happen is Jericho's going to find a way to win, but he's going to only win by pinfall somehow. But then Orange Cassidy's going to end up tossing Jericho into the vat of the Mimosas. So that's what I think is going to happen. 
And then you have the AEW Championship on the line as John Moxley defends his title against MJF, Maxwell Jacob Friedman, who is undefeated in singles competition here in AEW. It's been an amazing... MJF is just such a pure heel. I love it. It has been amazing the way he's done all this stuff. And he's also been able to convince uh, John Moxley to not use the paradigm shift, his double arm DDT, in the match. It has been banned, which of course John Moxley says, well then I'm just going to come up with more creative ways to hurt you. As much as I really think MJF's going to get the win, I'm just going to go with John Moxley here by some way I think he's just going to end up with this win, maybe in a disqualification or something where MJF still hasn't been pinned. So see, even though they really don't do disqualifications in AEW, so we'll kind of see where all that ends up. But I think it's going to be a great pay-per-view, as always. And, of course, we'll have a full recap of all of that when we get uh, done with it and, of course, next week. And that's going to wrap up this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Wherever you listen to the podcast, please give us those five-star reviews. They mean a lot. And, of course, listen to me and all my buddies in some of the other great podcasts, including Sagas and Shenanigans, our Dungeons and Dragons podcast with me. And, of course, Mrs. Shibbles is a part of that. Boston McCown is the great dungeon master there. And, of course, Boston and all the guys are on BRB AFK, the video game pop culture podcast. And, of course, Geeks Inherited the Earth as well. So check all of those out. Those are some of the great podcasts that my friends are a part of. Check them all out. Find them. Review them. Like them as well. But until next week, I love you guys. Stay safe. Too sweet. Adios.